Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Weber. And I'm happy to announce, I was very excited as I was looking through some social media, to see that um, the podcast was nominated and recognized as one of the best officiating podcasts of 2020 through Officials Depot. Um, I saw the little article and I clicked on it and um, looked through there and under baseball umpire podcast, they've got the hammer listed. So for whomever um, nominated the podcast and listens to it and likes it, that's that's really great. Um, I didn't win any big prize or something from this. It's just a recognition kind of thing, but it's kind of nice to know that the work I put into it is recognized and somebody likes it. That that's, makes it worthwhile to do. This episode I'm focusing on the, you know, hopefully post-COVID-19, um, hopefully that's the, the era we're entering, uh, return to officiating. All right, I've got uh, a few segment, segments on that, talking about Iowa high school baseball. Uh, they always have their season in, in the, more of the summer, June, and, and thereafter that's where they start. And so they're taking their precautions. Um, I'm just talking about return to play here in the state of Michigan because I'm excited to say that we are starting to uh, schedule games. I'm scheduling games and assigning games to people to return to the ball fields on June 15th for summer travel ball league that we do during the week. And then eventually, hopefully, some tournaments that they have on the weekends. I had a question about uh, basics of four-man mechanics so I am going to talk about that for a few minutes and give you some basics. You know, it would take more than an entire podcast to talk about all the nuances of four-man. And um, I'm far from the expert on four-man, but I have worked it on a few occasions and, and have a clue. Let's just put it that way, okay? And uh, also, umpire etiquette. As we get back into the swing of things and on the baseball field, uh, we've got to be treating our, our partners well Uh, being aware of our surroundings, uh, particularly if we're in parking lots and things like that, and uh, handling ourselves in the right manner. So I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes as well. That was a a question or comment that was sent in from a listener as well, which I always appreciate those things. And as usual, I have an umpire spotlight. This one is uh, more of a a general one as well. I kind of doing those the last few weeks, and I think it works pretty well. Uh, I'm doing Cuban umpiring and talking about what it's like to umpire in Cuba, which is definitely very interesting. So hopefully those sound interesting to you, those topics I've got, and you'll stick with me throughout the whole show and um, think about some umpiring and um, get out of the, the doldrums of our, our COVID-19 times and uh, hopefully be getting back on the baseball field. So sit back and listen to Another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. So now the big question is, what are we doing when we return to umpiring baseball games in the post-COVID-19 world? All right. And of course, we're not completely through COVID-19. We know that, you know, there still could be some potential issues down the road. Hopefully not, but it's still um, looming over us until there's some kind of vaccine or something like that, I, I suppose. 
So um, people want to be safe. They certainly don't want to get COVID-19 and, and, or infect somebody else if they were, you know, uh, symptomatic. So I'm getting these questions from umpires and, and I know that the people that um, run the, the battle, the baseball all travel league that I assigned for are getting questions from the teams, you know, the coaches and parents and such uh, about what are we going to do to try to make things as safe as possible. So uh, battle is kind of um, um, connected with USSA, which a lot of you are familiar with. It's one of the big um, organizations, youth baseball organizations in the country, and they do other things other than baseball. Uh, and they have their recommendations and memo that we're following. These are what they are talking about, which is what we're trying to do. And I'm sure there'll be some uh, adjustments as we go through it. We're going to be trying to start to play on June 15th. It's a Monday. And uh, hopefully things go well. So the first thing they say is follow all local and state guidelines for facilities and events. You know, CDC stuff, you know, here in the state of Michigan or whatever state you might be in. But that's what we're doing. The pregame conference at home plate, they, they're saying that should be limited to one coach from each team plus the umpires. And no players allowed and um, practice social distancing while you do that. And then it says, where possible, consider um, options for limiting both the pitching and the scorecard exchanges in order to reduce person-to-person contact. Dugouts. Allow teams to spread players out. Expand the dugout areas from uh, for where room permits and only if player safety will not be compromised. Expansion of the team dugout should not be done in defile areas and attempts to limit bench personnel to essential team personnel. Don't have all these extra people there. On each side, the dugout shall be extended from the first or third base line there where it is to the first post of the backstop fence, roughly the on-deck circle. Uh, No player shall stand directly behind the home plate backstop, which they shouldn't be doing anyway. Attempt to limit bench personnel to essential team personnel. And once out of the immediate dugout, players shall not leave the area to visit spectators, you know, or family, parents, whoever, right? To stay there during the game, which is what they should be doing anyway. I made the um, suggestion, because usually that's the way it is in the rules, that if they are extending the dugout, it should be toward, you know, like the corner, the left field, the right field corner, not forward toward home plate. Parents, they're encouraged to supply the players with antibacterial wipes and hand sanitizer for disinfecting shared playing equipment and cleaning hands between innings um, whenever they can. Spectator area, social distancing of six feet shall be maintained at all times. Immediate family only may sit together. Designated areas shall be on their respective team side of the field, starting on the outfield grass line and extending to the foul poles. No mingling with other team spectators. If the field's enclosed, spectators may sit behind the fence and left or right field only and not be in center field. Kind of a batter's eye thing. And absolutely no fans between third base to first base. Area between the dugouts and behind home plate is off limits which would definitely reduce the uh, amount of comments you might hear if you're calling balls and strikes, I guess, right? 
Allow players to wear PPE items if they choose, as long as the items do not compromise the safety of any and all participants in the game. Require teams to clean their dugout of all trash and other items after each game and to wipe down or clean hard surfaces such as benches, bat racks, etc. Upon arriving at the dugout for the first game, teams are to disinfect hard surface areas, benches, bat racks, etc. And then um, the last two things here, you know, should comply with CDC recommendations of a two-step process for cleaning and disinfecting. Directors should consider adjusting the playing formats and increasing the amount of time between the games to minimize overlap and traffic flow where needed. Uh, ban the use of sunflower seeds and gum. And then post-game behavior, you know, the handshake, no shaking hands after the game. Uh, feel free to line up along the baseline while maintaining social distancing to tip your cap to the other team or wave to your opponent's um, opponent conference, you know, at home plate, that kind of thing. Team meeting, not allowed. So that's kind of the basics that they have uh, put in place. Still, though, of course, that doesn't solve everything, and there's still anxiety among anybody that might be participating in um, a baseball game. I'm planning on doing some umpiring starting on June 15th. And um, I don't think I'm going to wear a mask. Um, I think that would be very challenging. Um, But I've had umpires ask me what they should do. And I have told them that, you know, they should do what they are comfortable doing. And what's in your comfort zone. If you want to wear a PPE mask, go ahead. If you don't feel like umpiring, you know, it it just seems like um, not a good thing for you this summer, then don't do it. I mean, I'm not going to make a big judgment on that. Just let me know so I don't try to assign you games or something. Um, the, The question, are we calling balls and strikes from, you know, a regular spot behind the catcher or are we doing it behind the mound? In my battle league, they're basically saying, you know, if uh, the umpire and the coaches would prefer that, especially at the lower levels, let's say 12U and younger, um, maybe even 13U, um, if they want to do that uh, and they feel comfortable doing that, that's fine. Especially if you have only one umpire, as as it is, right? It makes it hard for fair foul decisions, of course, but... You know, when you have one or two umpires, there's always compromises, right? Um, so I plan to call balls and strikes from behind the catcher. You know, I, I don't know. That That's what I, I plan to do because they're trying to do baseball as normal as possible if that's the case. I made the suggestion to those that are running uh, the league I signed for that I think that uh, we should have temperature checks before each game. I think each team in the league should buy a thermometer. They're not ridiculously expensive from what I hear. And when people arrive, their players, or anybody that's going to be on the playing field, assistant coaches, umpires, players, should have their temperature check when they arrive there. And if it's um, over 100.4, which seems to be the standard right now, then they should go home. Um, And I think that would... um, I mean, it doesn't guarantee that somebody doesn't have COVID-19, of course, but at least they're not symptomatic. 
um, I would feel better about that. I mean, if I arrived and they temperature checked me and it showed I had a fever going, I would be more than happy to go home. I, I probably should. You know, I, maybe I didn't realize that. Of course, if you are running a fever and you're sick, you probably know that. Like my wife asked me, she's like, if you were in high school and this stuff had happened and you were playing in the summer and, you know, hadn't played any games, would you show up uh, even if you weren't feeling too good? And I'm like, yeah, I probably would because that's what high school kids would do. Um, and some, you know, kids that are younger than high school will do that too if they're really into baseball. They're not going to tell their mom and dad they're not feeling good um, and they just want to go play. You know, that's the way I was. Some of us are like that as umpires, right? We might just want, hey, man, I, I want to just go umpire. And it's not just necessarily even about the money. I mean, yeah, it's nice to make that money. You just want to get out there and do your thing that you like. So I think that that would um, help people, you know. Like my wife's worried that I, I might go and, and catch COVID-19, you know. I mean, it's legitimate. If uh, a mom or dad are sitting in their lawn chair there watching a game or in the stands or something, they might be wondering, hey, is that kid by my kid symptomatic? Is is that coach all right? Is that umpire all right? It's a legitimate concern. And if they know at least that people are being um, temperature checked, then maybe it would reduce the anxiety. And, um, you know, obviously anybody with obvious symptoms would be sent away. So that's what they're doing in lots of businesses around the country. And I've even heard that some practices are doing that. And some of these travel teams are starting up and, you know, you're going to go, you know, hit or whatever at their indoor place or maybe outside. They they are doing that anyway. So um, we'll see what happens. On my next show, I will probably be reporting on what went down with that if that's what they decide to do. But that was my suggestion. I'm interested to know what uh, they're doing in your area if you're starting up and, um, getting some games and maybe umpiring, especially some of you that already have been on the ball field. Uh, how are they handling things? And um, are umpires wearing PPE masks? Um, or are they not? Are players and coaches doing that? Are they doing temperature checks? How are they handling the crowd? And um, generally, how are things going with that? Feel free to send me an email about that or send me a message through Facebook or leave a voice message through the Anchor app um, or on the website for the show. And let me know what uh, you guys are doing and what you think about all of that. Um, are you umpiring this year? Or are you not comfortable umpiring this year and you're taking some time off? Let me know what you think about that as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, a new era, of course, that we're going through. Hopefully we'll get through it all right. Um, but uh, there's you know several ways that it can be handled in directions that we all can take and hopefully we do it in a, a safe way and come through on top another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I don't know if you're aware, but the state of Iowa has their high school baseball season in the summertime. Well, at least, you know, starting in June, 
not officially summer, I guess, till the 21st, right, or right around there. Um, but, you know, they start in June and they, they play at that time when, you know, the weather's better. I mean, it's a really good time to play. And they're starting their season, um, even in this, you know, COVID-19 time here, this post-COVID time that we're hopefully entering. And uh, they have some changes, which I think um, will be interesting and uh, some things that maybe other states and obviously summer travel tournament type uh, groups might take a look at to see what they're doing and how things how things go. And I looked up some information about that, and I guess the most um, noteworthy changes is that umpires will no longer put new balls, uh, new baseballs into play, instead relying on the defensive team's dugout to do so after a foul ball or you know a bounce pitch or whatever it might be. You know. Um, additionally, umpires are not to touch uh, errantly placed bats or catcher's masks during action. I don't do that anyway. I mean, I'm not a bat boy. And, um, you know, I have picked up like a catcher's mask if, you know, he threw it off. I've done that. But you're not supposed to do that. Um, face masks are not mandatory but recommended. You know, PPE stuff I'm talking. Obviously, <laughs> you want your face mask behind the plate if you're working there. <laughs> that should be mandatory, right? Um, signs of... Um, uh, players, you know, spitting and pitchers licking their fingers and stuff are going, you know, they should be addressed anyway, but they're really cracking down on that, obviously, for the safety uh, part of it, not just the cheating part where you're getting some advantage there. Other key guidelines, umpires must clean uniforms each game and wipe down equipment between games. Probably should be doing that anyway, right? Umpires must bring their own uh, water, Gatorade, power bars, hand sanitizer, disinfectants, whatever you want there. Um, I always bring my own water anyway. I, I know sometimes they might give you water, but they're not going to there. Um, I never count on anybody giving me anything at a game, you know, especially the opposing or the, the two teams, right? Umpires must travel separately to a game and maintain physical distance when entering the field. That's interesting. Um you know, if it's a local game, that's no big deal. But, man, I know for college ball, you know, if uh, I'm going with the guy from Grand Rapids, we're working a game together and we got to drive, you know, an hour away or something, we, we carpool it. So I guess they don't want you doing that. Umpires and head coaches must maintain social distancing during pregame meetings and conferences. There will be no handshakes and no signing of scorebooks. We've gotten away from that here in the state of Michigan anyway, Um you know, maybe they haven't there. I don't know. Home teams should provide game-ready uh, baseballs. Each team, when playing defense, should supply the game balls to their pitcher or pitchers, right? Foul balls should be returned to the defensive team's dugout for sanitizing prior to being put into play. Interesting. All right. So obviously they're going to have a bit of a learning curve here and um, things might be adjusted as they go through it. But those are some of the... Um, the things that they're putting in place to try to, um, you know, make things safer for everybody involved. I guess one of the other big positives, at least as far as umpires go, is um, they've only lost a small percentage of umpires that they normally have that aren't returning to umpire this season for them. Um, they have most of the people that they normally expect to have, so they're able to fill their, their games um, as needed. So that's good. Hopefully that would be a similar situation around the country. So I thought that was interesting and in how they're handling things. Um, just another another 
part of the story of how we're going to return to baseball in um, post-COVID-19. I received an email from Jim Nealon, a Chicago area umpire, who wrote, Kevin, I just wanted to let you know how much I have enjoyed your podcasts. I've listened to all of them. We have a lot in common. I'm a high school shop teacher. I work mostly high school games during the week and some D3 and NAIA ball on the weekends in the Chicago area. You have covered some great topics and you present them all very well. I am a very experienced official who is always looking to get better and whether it's something that is a reminder or some subtle thing or a different approach to something, I always take away something from your podcast. I especially like your spotlights of the umpires. You do some incredible research and it's awesome to learn about the roots of our profession. I can tell you have a passion for this history and the shows. I don't recall if you have talked about this, but maybe have a segment on our etiquette while in the parking lot, walking to and from the field, avoiding negative talk about coaches and players, etc. We often get into trouble when we speak off the field and someone is always listening. Keep up the good work and I'm looking forward to your next cast. It's been tough not working any games and you are helping to fill some of the void. So uh, thank you very much, Jim, for uh, your email. I appreciate that. And we do seem to have some things in common for sure. Um, hopefully you'll be getting back on the field sometime soon and, and uh, at least get some games in here before the end of the summer, right? Um, I don't know if I've talked about the etiquette, but uh, whether or not I have or have talked about it or not, I, I think it's a great topic and something to um, to mention here a little bit for, um, for, for experienced umpires and um, uh, certainly for newer umpires. So um, parking lots, right? Unfortunately, um, most of us work games that we have to change out of our cars or some sort of thing um, in a parking lot that's by the field. Um, If that is the case, you need to try to park in a discreet location and park by your partner. All right. Um, Try to prearrange this Um, If you have both been to, or at least one of you has been to the location before, then, um, you know, say where you like to park and, you know, what kind of car you have and park by each other so you can do some pre-gaming. It's hard to pre-game if you're across the parking lot. Now, I know sometimes, especially for like, you know, high school games or something, you might get there maybe not as quickly as you wanted to. I mean, you're there in enough time, but there's not a lot of parking spots for some reason at this location and you're kind of across. Stuff happens, I understand. But if it's at all possible, even if you got to move your cars, you need to do that. I try to be as far away from all potential parents and fans and whoever it might be um, as I can, if that's possible, all right? I mean, of course, you're looking to you know park in the shade and other things like that too. But you need to have your privacy. So even if it means you got to walk a little bit farther, it's worth it. All right, because um, I've been part of situations where you know people are walking to the cars and they see you, or you have to walk by them to get to the cars, and you know it was a heated contest or something was going on. You know how it goes, and they start saying stuff to you, and it's you know difficult not to say something back. I mean, you shouldn't. But I know I've said things back to people and, and basically basically what I end up doing most of the time is telling them to stop talking to me. 
that I don't want to talk to them and they need not to talk to me because I don't really want to engage in anything. So I make that pretty clear. I'm probably rude about it, but you know, if you're saying something to me after the game, then you're being rude anyway. So I'm just going to have the conversation end. That's where I go. I'm not going to argue about some play or something like that. But the best thing you can do is avoid all that. So you got to get yourself the heck away from that stuff. So that's the parking lot stuff. Um, Walking to and from the field. When you walk to the field, if you're coming from a parking lot or, you know, from a locker room, if you got a nice field that you're at, we all walk on the field together with purpose and we walk off the field together with purpose and we get off the field as soon as possible and we don't stick around, you know, because we're not signing autographs or something, right? So get the heck off the field and um, you're out of there. If nobody says anything to you, I guess you did a good job, all right? Not sitting there looking for compliments. We're not shaking hands. Not with, you know, this whole pandemic thing. We can't really be doing that anyway. So um, just get off the field, all right? Get out of there as soon as possible. Some guys like that to look around. They want to say something to some coach or some player. Or like, hey, I'll see you later. Hey, you know, there's there's 99% bad things that happen from that stuff. That 1%, I don't know, some compliment. Hey, that coach said I did a good job. Who cares if the coach said you did a good job or somebody else? I mean, what, they won, so they thought you did a good job, I guess. So you got to get the heck off the field. That's very important too. Avoiding negative talk about coaches and players and such people. You know, and you know, I, I can't say I've always been perfect. I'm sure I've said some negative things about people, you know, um, at, at times, but I try not to and... I try not to, you don't want to throw people under the bus, even if you had, um, you know, bad experience. I mean, I guess more than anything, I don't really sit there and say negative stuff, but if somebody mentions something about somebody and I've had a similar experience, I might say, yeah, that's happened with me with that guy too. I I might mention that. I mean, that's not the best thing, but I'll do that, but I'm not going to sit there and, um, and, and be bad talking somebody. Um, I'm thinking of other umpires. But even other coaches and stuff like that, or other players. Now, if there's a coach with a reputation, he's been around a long time, and he's all, you know, he gets ejected frequently, or he's always causing trouble, especially if it's somebody that hasn't dealt with them, then yeah, you should have part of your pregame that you talk about this coach is known for this stuff. I mean, you're not taking anything personal, saying, calling them names and stuff like that and that's not a good idea sometimes guys do that but trying to keep it at a neutral level and say this is his reputation this is what he does this is how we're going to handle things if something goes awry and um, let's talk about what we're doing and um, expect that he might come out on you that you know things will go his way this is the kind of stuff he does that's fine but uh, bad mouthing somebody that stuff you, you can't do especially if you are in a parking lot you know, if you're talking about coaches or some particular player that you heard about, there's always some parents or other coaches that might be walking by. People are listening. Even if you're in a locker room, you know, walls are only so thick, especially if you're talking loudly. People will hear you and they're going to say something and, you know, probably blow it more out of proportion than what it was. I mean, because sometimes you just get going, you know. I know sometimes, you know, like after a game, I get real fired up, and, and, and that's the thing I think we all like about officiating and, you know, umpiring or if you do basketball or football, whatever you do, especially if things go pretty well and you're done with it and you accomplish it, you get that kind of that rush, 
a kind of like officiating high afterward, right? Where you're just kind of excited or something. I know I get that way. Um, so sometimes you're just talking and you're saying stuff and, and maybe you're talking louder than you think you should or you're saying some things that maybe, you know, you should just kind of keep to yourself. So those are some things that you, you've got to keep your mouth in check, right? Because as Jim mentioned, we, we do get in trouble when we start running our mouth. So you, you've got to, you know, as um, Rich Fetchett says, silence can't be quoted. Best thing to do is keep your mouth shut, all right? Um, especially if you're working with, you know, a partner that maybe you're not as familiar with. You know, I don't always, I, whenever I'm talking to uh, another umpire or I'm talking to coaches or I'm saying stuff, you know, in the locker room or in a parking lot, I assume that other people could hear me, even if I don't see anybody else around. I'm not going to say anything that I wouldn't want anybody else to hear. If they happen to hear it, then I'm okay with that. And if it's something that you're saying that is um, that other people maybe would think twice about, then maybe you shouldn't be saying it. Um, you know, we all have different personalities, and some sometimes that's tough for some people, but that's something that you need to develop if you want to be a respected umpire. I'm not even talking about respected for your balls and strikes and safes and outs, just the kind of person you are, if you can be trusted, if somebody says something to you, they're not running behind your back and saying something so they get ahead of it, of a situation. All those kind of things um, are things that help you to advance if that's something that is important to you. And also just have the general respect of your umpiring colleagues. So definitely a few things to think about as a lot more of us are starting to um, get back on the field. And we all are kind of, you know, a lot of us are a little bit giddy to be able to do that. You know, check your enthusiasm, um, you know, mind what you say and do your job. And then usually good things work out. I've been getting some messages this past week, which is pretty cool. Uh, I got uh, some emails and some messages via the the hammer facebook page you know which is at the hammer podcast anyway jason burning sent me a message via facebook that read first of all i enjoy the podcast sometime in the coming month can you talk about tips for working the four-man system for someone that has never done it before thanks a lot so i i think that's a very good idea i've got a little bit of experience working for a man, um, not as much as you know I would have liked. I think it's fun to work for a man, but three man is uh, more fun because you have more going on and there's you know more rotations and you're more part of the game. Especially if you're working uh, third base and four man, uh, you know there's only so much that's going on for you. So you know my four man experience is maybe a dozen times. You know basically uh, high school state tournament. You know, the later part of the state tournaments, they use four-man. And um, so I'm far from an expert. Let's just put it that way. But I'll give you what I got. And I know there's some guys out there that um, have a lot more experience working four-man. And uh, particularly if you were trained as a pro umpire, uh, who might be able to chime in and and give some other pointers. But I'll, I'll try to give you the basics the best I can. All right? So some general principles 
uh, as far as format. With no runners on base, the first and third base umpire start a play with both feet in foul territory. One umpire will go into the outfield on all fly balls and line drives. Um, though, you know, it depends on how you're running it. I mean, you can have, um, you can have people, you know, staying where they are as far, I mean, there's different ways to run it, but that's the general idea. Uh, anyway, the umpire going out should go out as far as possible, but be stopped by making calls. Uh, an umpire who goes out into the outfield should not return to the field until the play is complete, you know, to the infield, that is. Um, when there are runners on base, other than a runner on third base only, the second base umpire will be positioned between second base and the pitcher's mound. Umpire will set up to one side of the mound and will not go out on fly balls to the outfield. And uh, the last general principle is the home plate umpire will stay at the plate when there are runners in scoring position. If you keep those things in mind, it makes things a little bit easier on you. Now, you certainly can Google four-man umpire mechanics, uh, make sure you get baseball and not softball, and there's lots of solid information out there, some not so good. Um, a good thing to do is to... Um, to get a, a manual from a reputable place, you could get the high school manual, the, the NFHS manual. You could get the professional manual. You can order that from different places. You can get the collegiate manual, all right, and, um, and work those systems. And there's slight differences in all of them, and depending on the level that you work. Uh, even in the major leagues for a long time, there was, you know, the professional, you know, especially when it was American League, National League, there was differences. I mean, we, we know that, okay, the American League used the outside protector and the National League didn't, you know, and they used the slot and all this other kind of stuff. But even before that, I mean, some of the differences were, um, you know, like National League umpires um, had, um, you know, they would stand uh, straddling the line when they were on first and third base where American League umpires would be in foul territory. Or um, the second base umpire in the AL would stand behind the bag while National League umpires would move in front of the bag. You know, they, they did all these different things. That's all different now. Um, things are standardized and people are supposed to, you know, abide by the way that the manual goes. And that's how you judge. And if you don't do it, then you're not going to move very far. All right. So those are a few things to keep in mind. So know that there's always a few things that can be different. And also remember, one of our most important tenets of umpiring is pause, read, react. Um, it's important at whatever level you're working and whatever mechanics you're working, two-man, three-man, four-man, six-man, if you know, you're that up there, I guess. But um, the more umpires there are on the field with you, the more important it is to do your pause, read, react because you have to react properly and the other umpires are reading you to see what you're doing. And um, you can mess them up if you are too quick um, or too slow, I guess. But usually it's a, a too quick kind of problem. Like, you know, you go out on a ball, you don't really need to. I guess it can be the other way. You you, you don't go out on a ball and you're late going out. Uh, that can cause problems too. So pause, read, and react. You know, that, those are things you should always be working on in two-man and, and doing that well. But you can get away with a little bit more there than you can in three-man and four-man. So let's talk about some different um, you know, field coverages and movements, okay? 
So like coverage with no nobody on base in four man. With no runners on base, uh, second base umpire covers more than half the outfield area. Um, so that's defined as all the fly balls from left center field moving straight in or out to the right fielder moving straight in or out. First base umpire covers the area from the right fielder to the right field line. Third base umpire covers the area from the left fielder to the left field line. And among other things, the second base umpire watches for um, a catch-no-catch on these plays. Okay, So if the second base umpire goes out into the outfield, third base umpire is responsible for covering any possible play at second base. So he moves from his position to the second base bag while the play is in progress. All right? Home plate umpire moves to third to cover any possible play there. And the first base umpire, after the batter runner has reached second base, moves to become, you know, like the home plate umpire and, and covers the plate. That's a rotation, right? A very basic one, uh, but that's kind of how that works with uh, nobody on base. The first time I ever worked first base in four-man was in a state semifinal game several years ago. And there, this was at Michigan State University's field. And they have... Um, uh, uh, kind of a short right field that you know lands in a river there's a river there the red cedar river and it goes up this hill kind of like old crosley field or something and um it's kind of a, a quirky thing but kind of cool well uh i didn't this is where i didn't pause read react very well okay fly ball hit the right right field all right i can tell right away as it's hit that it's going to be moving toward the line I read the ball and not the outfielder. You should be reading the outfielder, okay? The outfielder, um, incorrectly, turns toward his right, toward center field, and tries to pursue the ball, but then realizes that the ball is actually heading toward the line or more toward the line and turns himself around and starts heading toward the line. So I go out, you know, thinking this is going to be a trouble ball because it was pretty well struck, all right? And he gets up the hill, hits off the hill, and uh, the guy ends up with a stand-up double. My second base, this is with nobody on base, second base umpire saw him turn toward center field. And I, I, I assume he read it correctly. Because that outfielder turned toward center field, that right fielder, that's his ball. And I needed to have my other responsibilities um, on that rotation, and um, we both went out. So we got two umpires out. We got our third base umpire, um, who was kind of out of sorts, I guess. Wasn't doing what he should have been doing. He was just kind of standing there. And luckily, our home plate umpire, Corey Ray, who's a great umpire and has done some big-time stuff lately, um, he sees this going on, and, you know, he keeps officiating, and he comes over the over the mound, and he's at second base ready for the play there because we had nobody out there, and our third base umpire kind of brain-farted on it. And two other umpires out in the outfield. Um, no play. There was no throw. Um, but he was ready for it. And um, it, it was, you know, we didn't mess up the uh, play, I guess. Um, but we certainly messed up the rotation and it didn't look very good. So I'm sure all the umpires watching, um, you know, <laughs> they, they had some criticisms. I'm sure they did. But, uh, hey, you learn from those things. And, um I've done first base a few times since then, and I have never made that mistake again. I'm not saying I won't make mistakes working first base and four-man, but that is not one I'm going to make because I learned my lesson there. So let's talk about um, coverage with a runner on first only. All right. 
So when there's a, uh, there are runners on base, the coverage changes depending on the initial position of the runners, right? So with a runner on first, the second base umpire starts to play in the inside position. First base umpire covers the area defined as, you know, the center fielder straight in or out to the right field line, while the third base umpire has coverage on all fly balls that cause the center fielder to move to his right all the way to the left field line. So movement around the infield with runners on base varies slightly depending on where the runner started the play. All right. With a runner on first and a ball hit to left field, the third base umpire goes out on coverage. The home plate umpire moves toward third base for any plays on the runner or batter runner at third. And the first base umpire is responsible for any tag up at first or any play on the runner or batter runner at first. So um, first base umpire releases to home plate once the runner from first commits to third base. And then the second base umpire drifts between first and second and he's responsible for a play at second on the runner from first. Once that runner commits to third base, the second base umpire releases from that runner and picks up the batter runner. Of course, this changes if the first base umpire goes on on coverage. The plate umpire moves toward first base and has responsibility for any tag up at first. The plate umpire also has responsibility for any play on the runner at first. If that runner commits to third base, the plate umpire returns to home plate for any possible play. The last responsibility of the plate umpire when the first base umpire goes out into the outfield is the touch of first base by the batter runner. Now, this is kind of like standard, more pro mechanic here. This could be different in some different manuals, but this is like the basics here, all right? So anyway, also on this, the second base umpire has responsibility for any play on the runner or batter runner at second. He is also responsible for the batter runner back into first base after rounding the bag. The third base umpire has the runner from first into third base and the batter runner at third. And uh, one variation on this you know, mechanic is that a crew may have the second base umpire cover first base instead of the home plate umpire. I mean, that's, you know, usually it's got to be approved, but it could be, a, you know, a pregame thing. All right, let's move into our next coverage situation. That's with runners on second and third. And, and you notice uh, if you're new to four man, and the same, I guess, could be said for three man, all this depends on, you know, when the ball is hit to the outfield in some fashion, um, what people are doing. That changes things, and people have to get to the right spot and know the responsibilities to make the mechanics work right. You know, if there's just strikeouts and pop-ups on the infield and ground balls and things like that, um, there's a lot less stuff going on. But when a ball is hit into the outfield, stuff gets, gets moving, right? Anyway, second and third. Responsibilities get much more complicated if there are runners on second base and um, third base. One of the complications is whether the infield is playing in or not. So if the infield is in, then the second base umpire's position on the outside of the shortstop side. All right? Um, you got to adjust for that, right? And, of course, this is a pregame mechanic kind of thing, too, that we can talk about. He should be far enough behind the infielder to clear them. In this situation, fly ball coverage is basically the same as with no runners on, but if the infield is not playing in, the second base umpire is positioned in front of the bag and the mechanic changes to, um, to coverage with a, you know, like runners on a first base only, which, you know, we already talked about. 
There are also mechanics for all other combinations of runners on base, you know, second base only, um, third base, uh, first and uh, first and second, first and third, bases loaded. I'm not going to go through all of those. I mean, you'll have to look at a mechanics, man. I'm just trying to give you an idea of the way things kind of work, right? Um, another thing to kind of mention, I guess, is like line drives to the infield with runners on base. That's one situation that you got to be aware of um, that's not hit to the outfield, right? So it's less clearly delineated um, than most other you know, mechanics that we look at because of the complexities of how and where the ball may be hit and uh, where the infielders and umpires are positioned. The general rule is for the umpire to whom the glove is op open to take, you know, the ball and the call, right? If there are any runners on base, home plate umpire takes all balls hit to the pitcher or an infielder uh, who is charging in on the play. First base umpire generally takes any ball hit directly to the first baseman or any ball that takes the first baseman or second baseman to his left. Second base umpire would take any ball hit directly to the shortstop or second baseman, uh, any ball that causes the first or second baseman to dive to his right, or any ball that causes the shortstop or third baseman to dive to his left. And the third base umpire takes any ball hit directly at the third baseman or any ball that takes either the third baseman or the shortstop to his right. So those are a few things to think about as far as line drives, which is something that should be pre-gamed as well. So I didn't go through all the coverages. I mean, this segment, I think, is long enough. But maybe that gives you a feel for it. And um, it's something you have to research and, and look at. There's videos out there, uh, some free that you can find. But, you know, get it from a reputable place. And there's lots of mechanic manuals out there that um, there are several that are pretty solid. You know, if you get something from, you know, the high school association or your collegiate association or from the professional ranks, those are all good places to start and look at things and um, start start figuring things out. Best thing, of course, you got to get on the field and do it. And um, it's a little bit strange at first and um, you're, you're going to mess some things up. Um, if you get the opportunity to, you know, work three or four man um you know, in a less stressful game, you know, maybe during the summer or some other type of situation where there's some other umpires there, um, that's a great way to do it. If you work three-man, just like you have to be familiar with two-man to be able to work three-man because, you know, if an umpire goes out, you go back to two-man. Same thing with four-man. If you are familiar with three-man, um, it makes it a lot easier to work four-man because if an umpire goes out, you revert to three-man. So um, you need to familiarize yourself with all those things. Hopefully that's helpful. Uh, you know, it's a big topic. Uh, maybe I can come back to it at some point. And uh, I would appreciate any feedback you might have for me. In this week's Umpire Spotlight, I'm going to spotlight Cuban umpiring, which is perhaps one of the most difficult umpiring jobs in the world. And I'm also probably going to massively mispronounce some Spanish words and names. <laughs> okay. Um, I took two years of Mandarin Chinese, so I'm okay with that. But as far as Spanish, not so good. All right. So if I do, please forgive me. You don't even need to correct me. Just know that I, I probably said it incorrectly. I'll do the best that I can, I guess. Right. But anyway, Cuba. Cuba, of course, we know is um, a great 
baseball place. There's been some tremendous players that have come out of Cuba um, over the last several decades, you know, probably the last 50 years, really, 50, 60 years, um, even way back to like uh, Louis Tiant and those kind of guys. And there was players even before him, you know, that weren't able to make it necessarily to the major leagues, um, but definitely had major league talent. And so the baseball there is extremely competitive, especially considering their population is way lower than, you know, let's say the United States or something. Per capita, they produce some tremendous baseball players. So they need some tremendous umpires to officiate their games, right? And um, umpiring in Cuba is tough. Lots of verbal abuse can come from the stands when you blow a call or even just a close play um, that has some negative effects on the home team, of course, right? And when talking um, and when taking on um, umpires, Cuban fans can be really, really brutal, all right? So with very modest salaries, no union, um, the umpires are prone to be uh, constantly put under the microscope by fans, the players, the managers, the media, and they do not have leadership separate from the Cuban Baseball Federation. They have um, exactly the same boss as the players, who's this almighty commissioner who makes decisions within games, stripping all authority from everyone and creating a bad climate among the umpires. One of the most um, celebrated Cuban umpires is Amanda Mastri. They're, um, you know, umpire from more the 1940s and 50s. Um, he's acknowledged uh, for preventing a slaughter of university students um, who were protesting during Batista's um, regime back in 1952. So a group of students from the University of Havana, you know, led by student leaders, um, jumped into the field um, and during, during a game, protesting the Batista regime. And just a few months after he had led a coup on March 10th, you know, Batista did. So the police stormed onto the field with the clear intention of clubbing the students to death. And Mastri stood in the middle, stating that he was in charge of whatever happened on the field. And even though the police took the students away, no fatal incident took place at the ballpark. Maybe it did in other places. I don't know. That day um, transcended so much politically that even today, November 23rd, is celebrated in Cuban baseball as the day of Cuban umpiring. Have like, you know, Cuban umpiring day, which is interesting. Now, Mastri was also known for his authority on the field, you know, as, a, as an actual umpire. He even went so far as ejecting Mexican League president Jorge Pascual, the guy who once intended to challenge the American major leagues. Uh, from a game in the Mexican League in um, 1945, despite knowing that this could possibly come back to hurt him. Uh, another umpire embraced in Cuba for non-baseball-related events um, during the games was um, Cesar Valdez. So during the friendship series between Cuba and the Baltimore Orioles at Camden Yards in 1999, Valdez physically threw down a man who entered the field making noise and carrying a sign offensive to the Cuban Revolution. So he is definitely respected back in Cuba for taking that stand. Unfortunately, um, more than those kind of moments of praise, 
Um, it's been the infamous moment surrounding uh, umpires in Cuba um, that is hard to comprehend. You know the the inborn hostility that they seem to um, to get. Um, there have been many incidents over the years in which um, umpires have been assaulted, and um, crazy incidents have happened that uh, that baseball fans here in America would find hard to believe. So you know, despite um, you know, the Cuban umpires definitely have a lot of complaints um, about the authority that they um, are, have undermined constantly in baseball games. But other than that, they also um, have problems with wages. There's no union for umpires to respond to and to be represented. And the fact that someone with power but little umpire knowledge makes a phone call and disposes of an umpire at will is a dangerous situation and one that can only lead to other unfortunate events or people you know making calls that uh, don't get them in trouble that's not the kind of umpiring that you want to be doing or, and having done in in your highest leagues so even though cuban umpires are accorded the uh, respectful treatment of being provided a glass of water and a cup of coffee on a tray by a very beautiful attendant during the fifth inning stretch the reality of their work is very rough and most of the time they are the weakest link of the chain depending on who the transgressor is if, if, if it's a more powerful person then they don't really um, stand a chance umpires there are trained first in their province and later on in the national umpiring school and they need to officiate many games at lower level tournaments before making it to the national series, which is the top level. Many of them begin as substitutes before getting a so-called full-time umpiring job. Um, For um, 32 national pesos per game, which is the equivalent of about $1.42. At least that's what it was from the information I got from several years ago. So even though many things in Cuba are subsidized, uh, that is still a very low income. I mean, yeah, you <laughs> you want to make some money for it. Um, back, you know, a few years ago, back in the mid-2000 uh, teens, they, uh, uh, the Cuban government announced a, a new system to pay athletes better, but they didn't really do that for umpires because, you know, they're not really well-respected there. Umpires are closely evaluated. Every game is monitored and assessed by a technical commission, making sure that the umpires work properly and call the game the way it should be. And that commission gives a game evaluation to every umpire based on the accuracy of his calls and the control he kept of the game. And all that is kept in a file for the whole season. The um, aggressiveness of the players can also be a problem. There is often a tendency to protest every decision an umpire makes. Um... We, uh, uh, they have seen, you know, like a, a pitcher protesting a call and a hitter doing exactly the same thing on two different pitches during the same at-bat. And nevertheless, all these events could be prevented or stopped with an umpire union that looked after the rights and protected their authority. Um, and even though, you know, they've been fighting for this for 70 years of Cuban baseball, that still hasn't happened. So I, I guess the moral of the story is, you know, if things are looking not so good for you on the baseball field sometime soon, at least you can think that um, you've got more people, um, you know, that have your back 
than they do in Cuba as far as umpiring. And that's the uh, umpire spotlight for this episode, Cuban umpiring. That wraps up another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. Hope you enjoyed the stuff that I had for you this week. It's a little bit longer show than I normally have, but uh, I've had some time on my hands, right? Hopefully, in the coming uh, week or so, I'll have less time on my hands. doesn't mean I'm not going to be doing a show. I plan on doing my show, and I hope that um, soon I will be able to start talking about some experiences that I have umpiring. You know, maybe some quirky plays that might happen, um, some situations I come about from some other umpires, anything, you know, just to spice things up a little bit. Um, I'm sure that 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 will be a topic that I'm going to touch on. Also, I will be touching on how the precautions and and management of uh, post-COVID-19 umpiring, at least in my area, uh, goes down and how it works, what works, what doesn't work. And uh, I again, as I always tell you guys, I, I'd love it if you send me some feedback for how things are going in your neck of the woods, right? So how are they handling all this stuff? Um, if you're out on the baseball field, is it working, You know, in your opinion? And of course, any other questions or comments that you have, feel free to send them my way. Um, hopefully you notice that I frequently will will make use of those comments and um, sometimes they spawn a topic for me or I just answer a question um, and I you know I'd like to make things as timely and interesting as possible for you guys that are, are regular listeners and so if you do that then I definitely will touch on those things so until next time hopefully you'll get to keep calling strikes <laughs>